Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for calling us to this place and for your word. And as we look uh, at what you have to say to us about community, uh, we pray that you would uh, bless us in spite of ourselves, that we might be honest with ourselves uh, so that you might do a great work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, I, the, the, the two-week thing is called Virtue and Vice, and I wanted to put Virtue and Vice Deans. I thought that would be... But we've only had two, so that's a little targeted. Uh, so we're not going to do that. But I want to talk about community today. Uh, I used to um, joke, because when I was in seminary, community was the big thing in creating communities. And even if you drive down the road today, you'll see uh, community church, or, or not even church. I saw one that was called Epiphany, a Christian community of light. Uh, ta-da! You know, I, so... I, this whole emphasis on community, and honestly, it would drive me crazy because I said, not to riff off my sermon, but uh, I said, you know, I don't wake up in the middle of the night yelling, community, give me community. I just don't. Uh, and I thought that it was way overplayed. Uh, but um, that was because, one, I took community for granted that I had, uh, and two, uh, <laughs> my ideas of community, uh, my eyes uh, have been open in the past several years. And so this week we're going to talk about the community in general, just sort of the world that we live in, the community that we live in. And then next week we're going to talk about the church community. And the reason why I called it virtue and vice is because uh, especially in um, the workings of the community in general and even the workings of the church community, um, a lot of the way that we deal with one another and operate with one another is what I would call projected manners. You know, when, when you go around and you, you talk to people, Clay, how are you? I'm fine, or I'm good, right? I used to have a friend that used to ask me, you know, how's your walk with the Lord doing? And, like, somebody would ask, how are you? They would say, how's your walk with the Lord doing? And I was like, really? Like, is that, or, <laughs> but really they were just, it was sort of Christian small talk for, for how are you? And, um, and it, it was, you know, well, what would happen if I actually told them, it stinks, it stinks. Now, what do you have to say about that? Um, you know, what would happen? But it dawned upon me a couple years ago, but it's it's been writ large recently because I found myself in Mountain Brook Village during Christmas time, and I was in the parking lot where the Western and, and all that kind of stuff is, and people are crazy. It's like there's a guy that says, oh, you're going to park here? Leave your brain right here. Just leave it and your heart. Just leave it all right here. And so people are cutting on one another off and, and, and you know, you're trying to back out of a parking lot. And the really nice, well-meaning security guy from Western's like, you know, he's got his thing going. And, and you're like, why should I trust you? Uh, and then people don't want to trust him. So they're honking the horn. And, and I just thought, the crazy thing about this is, is one, everybody's gone nuts, but two, I know these people. <laughs> That's what makes it worse. And when I was living in Washington, D.C., it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I grew up, well, let me just start with thing. I grew up in a very small town in Virginia. There were about 2,000 people in the town. And uh, I'll tell you a story. It, I was walking home from school, and there was a girl, I was eight years old, and there was a girl named Laura McClellan who lived down the road from us, and uh, I don't know what prompted me to do it, but I, I threw a rock at her, and she was a good distance away, and, um, and from the time the rock left my hand to the 10 minutes maybe that it took me to go through the front door, my mother was waiting like this, 
And I thought, she ratted me out. But she didn't. Gary Shackelford was driving by in his truck and thought that I shouldn't throw rocks at little girls. And so that was the kind of, you know, it took a village. Uh, that was the kind of town I grew up in where people just looked out for one another and you didn't get away with anything. You didn't get away with anything, which was a good thing. Um, but then when I moved to Washington, D.C., one of the difficulties that I encountered was uh, we shared a back fence, or the fence ran the length of our backyard and the neighbors next to us. And, but the neighbors had a gate that, that went out on a Washington Boulevard, and it was so much easier for me to walk through the backyard and walk through their gate and go to the East Falls Church metro station. And, um, and I, I didn't really know the guy. He kind of would wave sometimes. He didn't see overly, overly friendly. You know, we'd, we'd take stuff over at Christmas time. And, uh, but uh, finally one day I'm walking out of the gate, and, uh, and he sees me, and he just kind of waves, and, and I wave back. And it's right on the property line, so I thought, you know, it's really not that big a deal. And then I came home that day, and I go to walk in the gate, and he's padlocked it. <laughs> he's padlocked it. And any interaction I had from that point on with him, he didn't say anything about the lock. He never said, hey, you know, I just, I'm weird. Please don't use my gate. Um, uh, but, uh, and then I would find myself driving on I-66 or the Beltway or something like that. And people would just drive like maniacs. And then it dawned upon me. Uh, Washington, D.C. is a very transient area. Right? And if you're only going to live there for four years, why in the world should you get to know your neighbors? And if you don't know who your neighbors are, what difference does it make how you drive on the road? If you cut them off. If you do all of those things. And so I thought... Um, you know, well, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what it is, but then I pulled into Mountain Brook Village Shopping Center, and I realized that things had changed, and proximity and duration of stay are no longer the determining factors in community relationships. So where before I think that it was like how long you live there, and there's still towns like that, um, or um, how long you stay there and, and where you live, but now... Uh, there's something else going on. And what I realized is that Mountain Brook Village, at least during Christmas time, had become Washingtonians. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. Now, before, I, I know, because I'm the guy that on the highway, I see the merge lane coming up, and I start to speed up a little bit because I know that there's just enough space, but it's cutting a little too close for the person to merge in. But I think that that's unsafe. So I speed up, and then when they cut in, I think, ah! Right? I don't know. That's just me. I, I know that none of you. Uh, and then I lay on the horn and I get real close up to their bumper and, and I see that it's Frank Limehouse. Um, but um, I, I realize that um, that I I'm in the same boat. And part of it is that it's my own ego. But the other part of it is that I objectify people. And what I mean by that is, uh, y'all probably read Martin Buber when you were um, in a long layover <laughs> or, or in, in college or wherever. He's not that exciting, but he's an Austrian-born guy. And he wrote about the differences between an I-it relationship and an I-you relationship. An I-it relationship is basically what we create when we are in transactions with people whom we treat like objects. 
People who are simply there to serve us or complete a task. Whereas IU relationships are characterized by human connection and empathy. Buber wrote, when two people relate to each other authentically and humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. Now, uh, he was known for a little bit of overstatement, but at the same time, I realized how true that was. And in the world that we live in, people who want community want two things. And I guess this is a good definition of, of community. And if you went to Brene Brown, you heard a little bit of this, and she does a good job with this. And that is that community can be defined. People want to feel loved, and they want to feel a sense of belonging. They want to be loved, and they want a sense of belonging. And those are the two things that really make a community what it is, regardless of whether it's the church or the community at large that we live in, that they feel loved and belonging. And one of the things that I've noticed recently, and I've had to really catch myself, be careful doing, and maybe now that I have this giant, what looks like a bag phone walking around, this will help keep me from doing this. But going, I've noticed, um, there's signs up, but that doesn't seem to help. Uh, when you're going through the checkout line at the grocery store and somebody's on their cell phone, and somehow they're actually managed, they're able to manage the whole transaction without acknowledging the presence of the checkout person, or going through Chick-fil-A, and you're like, and you know, you're able to do that without, and it's as if the person, the, the checkout clerk or the, the person at the Chick-fil-A, it's like they don't exist. That would be very much an I-it relationship. And I think that the world that we live in is becoming more and more like that. Uh, one of the problems that I have, and um, I thought that this was normal, but um, I, for some reason, only like... Uh, to have people around me who like me and affirm me for who I am. Um, so anybody that challenges me, I, I sort of write them off and say, well, they're idiots. And, uh, and I, I cast them. I, my daughter called somebody an idiot the other day, and Lauren just goes, Andrew. Um, so that's bad. But, um, but really, the way that I do that is I'm able to objectify the person and treat them as an it rather than an actual human being and and actually having some uh, empathy um, and uh, some human connection uh, with them because it's easy to objectify people. Um, and so what does this look like in the world that we live in and what creates community uh, at large in whatever community you happen to live in uh, in the greater Birmingham metropolitan area, or uh, if you're traveling and you're here for a baptism back home. Well, one is a lot humanizing people. And what I mean, it is really hot in here. Well, I just feel like you're all judging me. Um, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm okay. So um, one of the things that I realized needed to happen, um, and I, I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I hear what Jesus says. Um, um, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow 
from you. Well, clearly Jesus has never lived in Birmingham, and that's the problem, <laughs> or lived in my neighborhood. Uh, and you have heard it said, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, shoot. Uh, because one of the things that Jesus is doing here, and a lot of people will say, well, the Sermon on the Mount is sort of the, the charter for Christianity. Uh, well, that's true. But if we were to actually take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what Jesus is describing is an ideal community, right? A, cert, a, a utopia. Uh, is it able to be realized here on earth? No. No. Why? Because human beings come into play. And what Jesus is trying to do here for us in one sense is to convict us and say, what you need to understand is often, more often than not, we think that we're the ones being transgressed against, right? We're the ones who are being slapped. Uh, we're the ones who are being forced to give over our tunics. We're the ones who are forcing someone to go. The, uh, we're the ones who have been forced to go the extra mile. Uh, we're the ones uh, who, um, who ha are having problems with our enemies. Uh, but if we're really in touch with ourselves and we think about it, um, we're that person to somebody else, right? Uh, we, if we're the, if I'm the guy walking through the line on my cell phone and kind of ignoring and dehumanizing the person at the checkout line, uh, that that lady checking me out is thinking, he's stealing my tunic, right? He's, I mean, he's slapping me uh, in the face. And of course, my reaction is, let there be justice, but if there be injustice, let it be in my favor, right? <laughs> That's what I'm looking for, and um, that. Uh, I always perceive myself as the victim, but one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as Christians is <clears throat> he puts a mirror in front of our face, and when we hear the words from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that mirror is placed in front of our face, and we realize my face is dirty. It's a mess. And it needs to be cleaned up. Now, what I normally do is I, I used to take the New Year's resolution approach where I would say, okay, today I'm going to be extra nice to this person who's a jerk. And, uh, and, and that's what I'm doing. I'm going to drive a little bit slower today and let people in. Or uh, today I'm going to go out of my way uh, to be nice uh, to this person or that person. And uh, recently I did something really nice for someone who I like okay. Uh, but uh, when I did this nice thing for someone, um, they called the house and they said, oh, I'm just calling for, for Lauren. I thought, okay. And I said, well, what can I do? And she was like, I just want you to tell her thank you for doing that thing for me. I'm like, what? You're not? Right? Um, so I, I, want, I want some sort of credit because I feel like if I've done something nice for that person, then they kind of owe me. Like, now we have to be nice to one another. But when I look at myself... When I look at myself, what I realize is that uh, I'm just as broken, if not more broken, or really all the same broken as the person on the other end, the tunic stealer, the Roman soldier forcing me to go two miles, uh, whatever uh, it might be. And, um, and what that does is it creates 
empathy. I mean, what it does is it says, okay, we're, we're in the same boat. So here's somebody broken, and, and I don't know their story. I've used this example before, but, you know, normally when I'm driving down the road and someone flies by me, driving like a crazy person, I say what? Look at that crazy person. They're nuts. What are they thinking? Now, a week later, I'm driving down the same road, except I'm now going 60 and a 45. And what do the people next to me say? Look at that crazy person, except I think I've got an excuse. You know, there's, there's some reason why it's okay for me to drive 60, but not anybody else when I don't, I don't know the story. I mean, I don't know if, you know, this poor guy's got his wife in the back seat and she's there on the way to the hospital to have a baby. Or, um, you know, he's got uh, some other emergency going on, whatever it might be. But the natural instinct of my heart is to jump to judgment and to come to some other conclusion. It's not to say, slap the other cheek. It's an eye for an eye. And I grew up with that, right? I grew up with um, I remember my dad telling me I'd come home, Sanford Mays punched me in the face on the way home, and I came home with a bloody nose, and my, my dad sat me down, and he said, now, Andrew, here's what I, I want you to hear. He says, the next time somebody punches you in the face or lays a hand on you, and, of course, me being a little kid, I thought, tell the teacher, he goes, no, I want you to haul off and punch him right back. And I thought, now we're talking turkey, right? <laughs> This is, now Now we're talking. The problem is, is they tend to punch back again. Uh, and we never got past step one. But um, it turns out that they got the same talking to from their dad. But, <clears throat> but what, what you find is that uh, you're in the same boat uh, as your neighbor. And again, it's not an issue of me going to the Mountain Brook Village Shopping Center and saying, I'm just going to be extra nice. I'm going to harness my chi. And it's going to be feng shui from here on out. Like, that's, that's not going to work. Because you know what happens. I mean, what you end up doing is, re what happens to me, I shouldn't say you, is that I repress my anger over what's going on. And then at some point in the day, it sort of leaks out at home. And then I take it out on my family. And Lauren's like, what is wrong with you? And I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but Mount Brook Village Shopping Center, that's what's wrong with me. Serenity now. Well... So one of the things that makes a community a community is being able to relate to other people and see them as broken. But you have to see yourself as broken first. Uh, Martin, who was a French philosopher, once said that community exists for the rescue of person. Community exists for the rescue of person, which has uh, largely been lost. But the idea of a community is that um, when things fall apart, uh, they're there. One of the interesting things about Chinese culture, and I noticed this in the Chinese church when I was over there, uh, we were doing a, an English language uh, vacation Bible school that the government was sponsoring, which was really interesting. I mean, they don't care how their kids learn English. They want just just teach them English. And we were there. We went to the home of one of the normal teachers who was very sick with the flu or something like that. And we walked in, and it was packed. Everybody was coming and bringing them stuff, right? Food, someone actually had come over and was like going to help bathe this person. And I thought, right, talk about, a, you know, going two miles, good grief. Uh, one mile's fine, one mile's fine. Um, but uh, what happens in America is you'll call up and you'll say, hey, you want me to bring you, you want me to bring you dinner? No, 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 don't bring, okay. Well, we'd love to stop by. No, they don't ask, they just do it. They just do it because their love for their neighbor overwhelms them. Because you know what? If they're honest with themselves and they think, if I'm this sick, 
I know that my, my pride is going to get in the way, but I want someone to bring me a casserole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it may feel uncomfortable, but yes, massage my feet, right? <laughs> or whatever it might be. Um, you know, take my kids for a little bit. A couple days, you know? Like Martin's awesome this time of year. Whatever it might be. Yes. Yes, because, yeah, I mean, it's funny. When Jesus says, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, there's something funny about that because in some sense it's this weird self-centeredness turned on itself because, like, if that were my situation, this is what I would want done unto me, and I'm going to do it unto you. Whether you like it or not, your comfort level is of no concern for me because you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. So getting in touch with yourself is absolutely crucial and clutch in dealing with one another in a community. The other thing is meeting people where they are in the community. Um, one of the things that I noticed, I grew up in a small town, which one of the things that would happen there that doesn't happen necessarily in big cities is in a small town, the school janitor, the local mechanic, the local architect, the lawyer, the insurance salesman, uh, the doctor are all friends. They're all friends. Why? <clears throat> they went to school with one another, right? They grew up with one another. And so they knew one another and they weren't sort of pigeonholed in their own. Uh, now I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and befriend somebody who's not in their field of work. But one of the things that um, is being lost in community and um, part of community existing for the rescue of person is encouraging people and allowing people to pursue their calls in life. So right now, one of the things that we have going on in America is if you don't go to college, you're doomed. You're doomed forever. But what do you say, what do you say to the guy who comes out of high school and says, I want to be an auto mechanic. I don't want to, I, I want to go to two-year uh, junior college and get certified in this type of engine repair and and that's what I want to do because I mean it, but the societal say whoa 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 I'll tell you what you, do. you go get your four-year degree in English and then and then if you still want to work on cars <laughs> go do that right go uh, but uh, what the biblical idea, though, is meeting people where they are, getting in touch with themselves, and understanding that people's calls are just as valid as other people's calls, and allowing them to pursue them and to celebrating them without any idea of judgment that dehumanizes them, that dehumanizes them. And in the communities that, that we uh, live in, that's really hard to do because we know that outwardly there's a pecking order but there are a lot of people who have made it to the top and accomplished everything that they want to accomplish and they still think there's something missing i was playing um golf in hawaii i know this sounds like it's going someplace really uh egalitarian and uh, i was in a uh, we had a little tournament one afternoon and i got paired with this uh couple they were about 70 years old and do you know what they did they judged beauty pageants and I'm thinking, do you have a card? Do you have a, a, bus do you have a business card? Um, and we're playing a little bit with this guy who's 70. And, uh, and he says, well, well, what is it that you do? And at the time, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going in the ministry. I wasn't ordained yet. And uh, he just thought, huh. And that, that normally provokes very different reactions, like this round will never be over. Or lots of, or lots of apologies, like, oh, oh, sorry I said that. But um, <laughs> like... 
But um, as the route went on, he started to strike up an ongoing conversation with me. And he said, you know, when I was younger, I, I felt like I was called to the ministry. And, um, and I never did anything about it. And what was very clear is um, he still felt it. He still felt it. And um, his name is Bo Green. And so after that, I said, well, let's just, let's just talk about it. And uh, Bo Green at 72 went to seminary and, uh, and ended up getting ordained when he was 75. Um, and uh, and he, doesn't, he sees the way that the Lord worked in his life. Uh, but one of the things that he didn't have, he said, was a community that encouraged him. That. He had a community that said, no, 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 Bo, you've got you've to do this. This is what you've got to do, and and when uh, and in fact all along it turned out that his wife, who everyone said you know that it would be a hard life on her, uh, she said you know I don't understand why you never brought it up, why you never said anything because it turned out the Lord was working on her too. So uh, and I've since stepped into their uh, judging beauty pageants for them. <laughs> it was a long drive from Las Vegas last night. I'm glad to be here this morning. So uh, he was pretty big. He was pretty. He did a couple Miss America pageants, but. Um, and so being part of a community means getting it, knowing that like the same call in your life to do whatever it is, is just as valid and as important as anybody else's call. And one of the big things I run into is people say, well, what I do is important, Andrew, but it's not as important as what you do. And that is hogwash. That what I do is very different, uh, but it's no less important in the eyes of God in the greater scheme of ministry and the plans that he has for the world that we live in. I mean, for instance, uh, because I wear this, like I walk into a room and it's like sometimes the needle, it's like playing golf with a guy. Like, I mean, you get very different reactions. Like some people start, you know, I had one guy try to kiss a ring one time and, um, <laughs> you know, um, and it's like, I mean, it's the strangest, it's the strangest thing. And sometimes I get used to it or I'll be, you know, in a hospital room and, and a guy's buddy will come in and he'll be like, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. And I'm like, just, just here to say hey, just here to say hey. Um, um, but when y'all, if I were to walk in your workplace, they would say, okay, here we go. But if y'all walk into your workplace or you walk into your club or if you walk into uh, your neighborhood, like, what, you know, what, the, they don't, there's not the same issue. There's not this barrier that exists. And you have relationships with these people because I know that you love them where they are and for who they are and you want to meet them where they are. I mean, you see me coming and it's like, you know, the Mormons, right? You, you all hide, you know, get down. Like um, a friend of mine once answered the door and he thought he had the best line and uh, he opened the door and the two guys were, this is a true story happened in Buford. And um, his wife was back fixing lunch for him. She said, I can't deal with it. Go answer the door. And so he opened it and the missionary said, you know, we'd love to tell you a little. He said, look, I got to tell you, I'm a member down at St. Helena's and I'm on the vestry and I'm pretty committed. And, uh, and so they said, well, sir, you know, does your faith um, promise you uh, the ability to ascend to this height. And he said, look, I'm really not interested. Well, but does your religion, uh, does your faith promise you eternity in heaven with your wife? And at that point he said, look, I'm having a hard enough time with her here on earth. <laughs> this, is, this is not a cell. This is not a cell. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is these guys were kind of going in a neighborhood cold calling and God bless them. I mean, sometimes I pray for, you know, the feet of a Mormon missionary to be willing to put myself out there, but they didn't know this guy and you know the people in your community and in which you live and you share with them in their struggles and you understand that community exists for the rescue of person uh, because you yourself understand uh, the need uh, to be rescued.
And so, uh, in the communities in which we live, what's going to change uh, the culture is a loving engagement with our neighbors, regardless of their situation. Uh, because you understand your own self, rather than um, an objectification uh, of your neighbors um, and not treating them uh, as a person. So as Boover would say, it would be an I-you relationship rather than an I-it uh, relationship. And so I'm actually going to end it a little bit early there uh, and ask um, if there are any questions, little stories you'd like to share or, or thoughts, on because you live in this community, um, what what your thoughts are, and even encouraging things like this. One time, you know, my neighbor did this, and it was great. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. Um, my name is Karen. I have been coming here a while and stuff. Confirmation came from y'all love me. I was about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I was speaking to Sister Delithia. Y'all mm -hmm. probably know her. Mm -hmm. I come on Thursday and mm -hmm. stuff. I used to be married to a minister and I was called into ministry. When you're talking about community, I love, I always use God as an example. When I mm -hmm. deny myself to take up the cross to follow Jesus, mm -hmm. he it is. He said it wasn't going to be easy. Mm -hmm. He did, but count it all joy. Mm -hmm. When you were speaking on fear, he did give us the spirit of, didn't give us the spirit of fear, but the love and sound mm -hmm. and that's peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm -hmm. But I work in the community. I love going out among the people. And stuff because I always use Jesus as an example. Mm -hmm. I stick with that Bible because God is not a man that I know mm -hmm. to repent. And here it is when I examine myself. Here it is because that's what the Bible we have to examine ourselves. Mm -hmm. Here it is, and I hear you when you're speaking. Here it is, you know, me, Jesus. I didn't choose God, God chose me out of the word that He get the glory. Mm -hmm. It can't be about us, He has to get all the glory mm -hmm. and stuff. So here it is, we have to have an impact on the people when we who we be around and stuff, you know, when I go out <clears> and witness and pray for people and encourage them through the mm -hmm. word of God. But I come on Thursday, and mm -hmm. here it is. Ever since I've been here, I said, you're speaking about love. And I was sharing with her and other people. I said, this church him, y'all represent God so well. Mm -hmm. His love here mm -hmm. and the love that people show one another, mm -hmm. that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's God. Thank you for that. And I love y'all. Thank you. <laughs> it's on tape. <laughs> Andrew, I think you're a jerk. Oh, really listen to this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Grocery store and have the checkout girl be the you and I'm the it. Yeah, it can be reversed. Yeah. It can be reversed. Yeah, in Beaufort we only had two grocery stores really, and uh, and we distinguished them by saying, uh, well, should I go to Publix or Food Lion? And I'd ask, and Publix is where you would go if you had time to put on your makeup, and Food Lion was where you had to go. <laughs> it's so fun to talk about Beaufort, so, which is a fun community. Yeah. I don't have time to pick up the phone to talk to you because you may want to talk more about the issue that I'm texting you about. Yeah. So I that was That's huge. Um, uh, I was talking to someone recently. I said, well, what are you doing? And they said, I'm, I'm talking to my mom. And, um, and I said, 
I didn't I didn't hear anything. And I said, oh, no, no I, I'm, I'm texting. And I thought, you're not talking to your mom. Right? You're not talking to, to anybody at, at all. And uh, and that's hard because, I mean, technology is moving so much faster than we are. You know, how do we how do we deal with that? And, um, you know, in our house, one of the things that we've had to do is, is put the phones away because, um, you know, our girls now are so geared toward, can I play this game on your on your phone? Or... And it's like they don't see it as a phone. It's not a method of communication. It's sort of a, it's an all-in-one entertainment center. And uh, and I'll admit it, it's easy. Like, oh, you want to watch Nemo for the hundredth time? That gives me an hour and a half. Go, you know. I mean, it's easy for me uh, to do that. But yeah, and ha the other thing is, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago when I did a class downstairs. But in a text, uh, well, one thing is like in an email, personality doesn't really come through unless you read into it. And have you all ever gotten an email and you just, and like, I can't believe that jerk. Like, I can't believe that they would write that to me. And then you talk to them and said, that is not what I meant, mm -hmm. right? But we often rely on email or things like that to, to convey feelings. Um, and that's, that's pretty dangerous. And there's a big difference. Like, it's easy for me to say something really awful about somebody through email. But like, when I'm face-to-face -face with a human being, um, that's, that's mm -hmm. much much harder. So yeah, there's in communication, it's easy to objectify people. And um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read you a little text I got the other day from Craig Smalley. <laughs> Frank, um, oh, there it is. There's also a funny picture. I wish I could put it up. So uh, Frank said, um, I'll have to turn off to say what Frank said, but uh, <laughs> Craig calls people on their birthdays, right? And so this is the text I got well, first of all, Frank's standing in my office, and he says, Craig called you yet? I said, no, he hadn't called me yet. Call, Joe called me last year. And he said, well, let me know when he does. And I'm like, okay. And as soon as he said that, I get, happy birthday to you from Craig. Wonderful and greatly appreciated person. And so I wrote, Frank's standing here and wants to know where the heck the freaking phone call is. <laughs> There's a little bit of editing in there. Um, and, and Craig's response is, goodbye. No, he, he goes, uh, where is Frank now? No, let him know, let him know the younger set appreciates a text. I will call him. <laughs> so, um, but that's, but the thing about it is, is uh, that's not true. That's not true. Um, if that's all you ever know, like my kids, if I ever, when, if and when the time comes where I see Steve Jobs face to face, he's mine. Because because of him, there are fingerprints all over our television screen. Because my kids think if you just you know, just push it, right? like they just don't know any different. They don't know any different, and yet they don't like. Um, a 17-year-old asked me recently, like she said, I mean Andrew, like when you were dating, I mean you knew the rule, like you're supposed to text her first. I'm like. What? I was like, I mean, like my option was like a carrier pigeon, you know, like I send the first pigeon, and I'm not that old. I'm not that old, and um, but it's there are all these crazy ways of trying to communicate with people rather than treating people as human beings and saying, okay, you're a person, and I don't know about you, but it's really nice to hear somebody's voice or to have something. Uh, it's just like for your birthday, would you rather have? A homemade cake. This is, I'm not saying that this happened to me. Would you rather have a homemade cake or a store-bought cake? Well, homemade cake, right? Right, because somebody actually took the time to do it, and they were thinking of you for the entire duration of the fixing process. 
And uh, so uh, if that's how we feel, then there's a 99.9999% chance that that's how other people feel. And so uh, understanding ourselves, uh, understanding that community exists for the rescue of person and encouraging them and loving them uh, the way that we need to be loved and encouraged. Any other? Okay. Next week we're going to talk about the church in general and, um, and Christians being the only people who shoot their wounded. Uh, so... That was an encouraging thing, wasn't it? I'm just saying, I'm just trying to bait you. I'm just trying to bait you. So next week we're going to talk about the church, community and church, and what uh, we have to offer one another and what we have to offer the world. But let's pray first. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, for this time together and for the communities we live in, we give you great thanks and we pray for them. Uh, We pray for our neighbors, even those that we don't like. Uh, And we pray for our families and, Lord, that she would indeed use us as instruments of your peace. And, Lord, that you might change our hearts uh, to make them more like yours, that we might have the love and compassion for one another uh, that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.